Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Amen, and we trust that God will bless the reading of his word. Let's just come before him in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this privilege that we have this morning of gathering together like this and offering up our sacrifice of praise and worship to you. We thank you, Father, for your word, your inherent and infallible word. And we pray now, Father, that as we have opened it and that as we have read it, that you would speak to us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our ears, Father, that we might hear from you. Open our eyes that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. Melt our hearts, Father, that we might receive him and bring glory and honour to our God and Saviour, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Just a few weeks ago, I'm sure, just like us, you were celebrating the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And of course, for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our own and personal Saviour, it's Resurrection Sunday every day, isn't it? It's not just confined to one day a year. Because as Paul reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, then we who have our faith and hope in him, our faith is futile. And we are above most men or all men most miserable. And we're not miserable, are we? Although sometimes we might look at it a little bit miserable on the outside, but on the inside we're not miserable because the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And that's because we have a living an active relationship with the living Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Bible teaches and what we have in Christ is not a religion, it's a relationship. And you know, after his crucifixion and resurrection, I count from scriptures there were 10 separate appearances of the risen Saviour before he ascended up into heaven. And this is one of those appearances to Peter and to some of the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And in these exchanges, we can see how that living and active relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and those who love him and want to follow him works, how it interacts with one another and how that relationship grows and develops. And that's what I wanted to look at in the time that we have this morning, this relationship between the Lord and Peter and how that might reflect our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as we are here today. But before we get stuck into to what the text has to say, just let's remind ourselves a little of what's happened to Peter up until this point. We know Peter from Scripture had often been the one who was quite vocal about his love and his desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. If you remember, it was Peter who rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ when he told him why he had come that he was going to be handed over and he was going to be put to death. It was Peter who rebuked him for that. And then, of course, during the Last Supper, we remember when the Lord was wanting to wash the feet of the disciples, Peter said, oh, no, 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 not me. You're not washing my feet, Lord. And then when he eventually relented, he wanted the Lord to wash 
all of them and not just his feet. And then we remember out in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, it was Peter who drew his sword. When the crowd came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter that took his sword out and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And of course, before that, on the Mount of Olives, when Jesus made the prediction that all of them would fall away on account of him, what did Peter say? Oh, no, not me. Even if everyone else falls away, Lord, I will never leave you. I will never disown you. And of course, just a few moments after that, Peter finds himself, doesn't he, in the courtyard of the high priest. And he's watching as Jesus is taken in and he's watching as the accusers come forward and falsely accuse the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the Lord being spat upon. He sees him being beaten and stripped. And then, of course, comes the challenge, doesn't it? Three times he's charged with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And three times he denies it. Even taking an oath and calling down curses upon himself. And of course, it's at that very point that the cock crows. And we're told in Luke's account of that incident that as the cock crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. We're reminded in that that God sees everything. There is nothing in our lives that's hidden from God. We can sometimes put on a front and come to church on a Sunday and look respectable on the outside, but there might be something on the inside that maybe nobody else sees, but God sees everything. And we're reminded at that moment as the Lord looked at Peter, that Peter remembered his promise to the Lord and he remembered the Lord's prophecy about what he would do. And it says that he went outside and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He had failed, as he had often did in the past, and he was crushed by guilt. You know, I don't say any of this to have a go at Peter. I don't want it to sound like that's what I'm doing. I identify with Peter. Do you know why? Because I see so much of myself in him at times. Full of promises, full of bravado, full of good intentions. But so often I let the Lord down. Because I'm relying on myself, I'm relying on my own strength and my own ability to do what I've said I'm going to do, rather than trusting in the Lord. And don't we do that from time to time? Don't we make promises that we end up don't keeping? Don't we stumble and fall from time to time and make mistakes? But when we do that, it's what we do once we recognize that we have made a mistake. It's what we do once we recognize that we have sinned that helps in this relationship. This is the third time that Peter has met the risen Savior. Twice he had met them with the other disciples in the upper room. But we're not told that if any conversation taken place between Peter and the Lord. And now if we dread from the beginning of chapter 21, we find that Peter has all but abandoned his calling, if you like, to be a disciple. He's gone back to his old way of life. He's gone fishing. That's what he was before he met the Lord. He was a fisherman. And now because of the weight of the guilt of his errors and his mistakes, he has given up, it would seem, and he's gone fishing. He's gone back to his old way of life. 
That's what sin does in our life. It makes us feel isolated. It makes us feel not part of the church. It separates us from God. And it damages our relationships with the Lord if we do not deal with it properly and correctly. Peter, at this point, I can imagine, is a broken man under the weight of the guilt of his failures, under the weight of the guilt of his sin, he must be broken. He must feel this big. You know, I don't know where you are with the Lord in terms of your walk with him. Perhaps you had made a commitment to the Lord some time ago and things in life have happened and you've stumbled and fallen and not dealt with it and now you feel further away from the Lord than you've ever done before. Or perhaps this morning you've never made a commitment to follow Christ and you don't feel close to him. Perhaps you feel that you're not good enough for the Lord Jesus Christ to love you. You know, despite what Peter had did, despite his failings and his weaknesses that we all have, we read in verse 4 of chapter 21, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. No matter where you are this morning, I want to tell you that Jesus is standing on the shore. All we have to do is do what Peter did and get out of the boat and come to him. And he's willing to accept us. We see that in the way that Peter, uh, the Lord dealt with Peter here in verse 15. When he starts to speak to Peter, he doesn't criticize him. Look how tenderly he deals with him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, ah, Peter, I told you so. How often have we heard that? My wife tells me just about every other day, I told you so. You know, we don't like it. But that's not what the Lord does with Peter. He doesn't say, ah, I told you you were going to let me down, Peter, and you did. I thought you promised that you were never going to leave me, Peter, and here you are rejecting me. Instead, he asks him this simple question, do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? The Lord goes straight to the heart of the matter. He goes straight to the heart. Do you love me? The greatest commandment the Lord Jesus said is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's what he asks us to do, to love the Lord and to be obedient to him. Peter hadn't, and as we so often do, he had failed. I wonder how would we respond this morning if we are asked by the Lord, do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? He says, do you truly love me more than these to Peter? It doesn't quite explain what the more than these means or what he's referring to. But there's two schools of thought. There's more than these pointing to the other disciples that were there. Because remember, Peter said, even if all of these guys fall away, I will never disown you. So perhaps the Lord was saying, well, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Or perhaps he's referring to the fishing boats and the nets as Peter had so easily swung back into his previous way of life. Perhaps he's saying, well, Peter, do you love me more than your old way of life? You know, how easy is it for you and I to get caught up with the things of life, with the pressures of life, with all that this world would seem to afford us, with work, with family, with friends, with money, everything that might take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. 
Do we truly love the Lord? Is He first in our lives? Is He the first thought of the day and the last thought of the night? Is all we do for Him and for His honour and for His glory? That's a challenge for us this morning. And it might raise things in your life and it might raise things in my life that aren't quite right and we need to take action. Peter took action. During this conversation with the Lord, we see that. We see in verse 17, it says, three times the Lord asked Peter if he loved him. And on the third occasion in verse 17, we read that Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Perhaps the threefold question was because of Peter's threefold denial of the Lord. But the Greek word for hurt here in verse 17 is lupio. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm a Gears boy, born and bred. English is my second language. Greek's way down the list. But I'm reliably informed that lupio, lupio means this. It means to be distressed. It means to be in heaviness or sorrowful or to be made sorry. Peter, in verse 17, was sorry. He was sorry for what he had done. He was sorry for letting the Lord down. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 that godly sorrows bring repentance which leads to salvation. Godly sorrow in us produces an eagerness, an earnestness, a desire to clear ourselves of all of our sin because we see our sin as God sees it in all its filth. If we don't, then the Bible reminds us that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And if we claim that we're without sin, then the Bible says that we are a liar and the truth is not in us. This is a living and active relationship that Peter has with the risen Saviour. And it's the same living relationship that you and I have with the Lord Jesus Christ if our faith and trust is in Him because He is alive. The Word of God tells us that we have been made alive in Christ. But because we still have this cloak of flesh on us, we sometimes get it wrong. We sometimes make mistakes. We sometimes stumble and fall. But we haven't come this morning to a tomb or to a shrine. But rather we have come into the very presence of the risen Saviour. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. He is here this afternoon. You know, I have a, a living relationship with my wife. We've been married for 14 years this year. What a sentence. Sorry for the newlyweds. <laughs> Sometimes she gets it wrong. More often than not, it's me that gets it wrong. But because we are in this living relationship with each other, we can deal with it. We can say sorry and we can sort it out and move on. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are alive in Him through His resurrection, we can also be restored to Him when we stumble and fall. There is no need for us to bear the guilt of our sin on our own. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And John himself reminds us in his first epistle, chapter 1 and verse 9, that if we confess our sin, 
He, that is Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' desire is to have a relationship with each and every one of us, to make us fit for his presence in heaven. But there's more to this than, than just that. Jesus said to Peter on two occasions, the first two occasions, do you truly love me? And on the third occasion, he just said, do you love me? On this occasion, and in Peter's three responses, there's two different kinds of word for love used. The first two times when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The word is agape. And this is a selfless love, a love that is pure and active. It's often used in the Bible to describe God's love for you and me, a selfless love. In all of Peter's responses, and in the Lord's last time he asked Peter if he loves him, the word is filio that's used for love. This describes more of an affection or a personal attachment or some sort of sentiment. Now, much has been made of whether this means anything or not. But I believe that there is something we can learn from this. You see, the first time that the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me like you said you love me? With agape love, no matter what the cost, you would never disown me. Peter says, Lord, I love you. I'm not up here, but I love you. I'm here. Peter, Lord asks Peter again, do you love me? Peter says, no, Lord, I love you. The last time the Lord asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you see what he does? The Lord came to meet Peter where he was. He didn't wait for Peter to reach some sort of height of spiritual greatness or faith before he accepted him. He came down to meet Peter exactly where he was. And so he can do that for you and I. The Lord is willing to meet you and me exactly where we are. There is no height of spiritual greatness. There is no measure of faith that we have to reach or attain before the Lord accepts us. He will accept you and me just as we are, just as he accepted Peter. You see that not only that, he restores Peter's purpose. He says in verse 15, feed my lambs. He says in verse 16, take care of my sheep. He says in verse 17, feed my sheep. Peter was to be the stalwart of the early church, overseeing it and looking after the congregation. And yet when we meet him here in chapter 21, he seems a million miles away from that. He's gone back to his old life. But yet as the Lord restores Peter, as Peter repents, as the Lord comes to meet Peter where he is and accept him and forgive him, he also restores Peter's purpose. Ephesians 2 and 10 reminds us that you and I are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose and a plan for your life and for my life. 
But that plan and purpose can only be realized in Christ Jesus. We can't do it on our own. It is only when we trust wholly and committedly in the Lord Jesus Christ will that plan and purpose be fulfilled in our lives. I find the way that the Lord ends this conversation with Peter sometimes a little puzzling, but actually when you think about it, it's rather wonderful. You'll see that in verse, verse 18, the Lord says to him, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus finishes this conversation by telling Peter that he's going to be martyred for his faith. That must have been a tough thing to hear. Can you imagine if you're already a little bit down because you've stumbled and fallen and made a mistake, and then to have the Lord tell you, by the way, you're going to be martyred for your faith. I'm pretty sure there's none of us in here that would want to hear that message. But yeah, actually, when you compare it to the Lord's previous prophecy about Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And now this prophecy, Peter, you're going to be martyred for your faith. You're going to be the kind of man that you once said you were. You're going to have the kind of faith that you once thought that you had, all because of your faith and trust in me. See, he doesn't only just restore Peter's purpose in life, but the Lord takes Peter from where he is, down in the depths, down in the despair that he's in, and lifts him up and makes him into the person that the Lord wants him to be. Peter, in his epistle, first epistle, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, writes this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. These are the words of a man who truly had a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said at the beginning, it's not a religion we have. It's not a religion that we offer to anyone else, but rather it's a living and active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is this morning for those of us who trust Him. That's where our faith is this morning for those of us who trust Him. I hope and I pray that we can all say that this morning, that our faith and our hope is in the living Lord Jesus Christ. He desires to have a relationship with you. He will come and He will meet you where you are. He will give you life, purpose, and meaning. And He will make you into the kind of person that He wants you to be. I hope your faith and trust is in Him. Amen.